You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash TopCast. Welcome to another episode of TopCast, the pinball internet radio show. Tonight we are talking to a gentleman that has opened up a pinball museum in San Francisco. It's called the Lucky Juju, and the website is ujuju.com. And this gentleman has opened it up as a non-profit under the umbrella of the Neptune Beach Amusement Museum. And we're going to talk to him tonight about how his museum differs from the Tim Arnold Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas and what he's trying to accomplish and how he's doing things a bit differently than how Tim Arnold is doing it, how he got into collecting, and what is the emphasis of the museum. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. So we're going to talk to Michael Sheath of the Lucky Juju. Yes, the Lucky Juju. What a name, and we're going to find out about that name. We're going to ask Michael about that name and how he came up with the Lucky Juju Pinball Museum in San Francisco. And also we're going to talk about the second annual Pacific Pinball Exhibition, which is coming up October 3rd, 4th, and 5th of 2008. And his show is very electromechanical pinball oriented. And in 2007, the first year was a phenomenal success. And he hopes to follow it up again in 2008 uh, to have even more games. Last year, he had like 300 electric mechanical games on display and available for play. Um, And this year, they hope to top that. We're going to give him a call right now and see how he's doing. Hello? Mike? Yeah. Hey, it's Clay. Uh, are you ready? Yep, I guess so. Okay, well, the, uh, Michael, tell me about um, the Lucky Juju. Let's just start with the Lucky Juju, since you know that's like the uh, the, the, the central focus of, of this, and what everything comes back to is is the Lucky Juju. Give me um, give me the history of this, and uh, you know how you got started in you know doing the Lucky Juju, and why. Okay. Um. It started when I, uh, I was taking a break from work. I'd finished my house, and I was starting to rent it, and I wanted to do some, some something artistic. And I decided that uh, I was going to build interactive art. And I was working on that concept when all of a sudden I realized that it had already been done. It was, I wanted to do interactive kinetic art, and then one of the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, hell, that's just that's pinball. Well, I was I was always into pinball. I even had a pinball machine, so I thought, well, heck, why don't I do this? Uh, what would be to maybe get pinball machines and re-theme them? So I started looking for older pinball machines, and I happened upon this lady who lived close to here who had about. 36 machines so I started emailing her and finally ended up with uh, with 12 of them 
and then I went back and haggled some more, and I got the rest of them. And wait, 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 wait. Most people, wait, wait, take wait. Take them one by one and wait. repaint them. And these were all like electromechanicals from the 70s, because that's, that's the era that I really liked. Okay, wait, wait, wait. But, but wait, Mike. Most people start out with like, you know, one game and maybe go to two and then maybe go to three. And you're saying you went from, you know, zero to 60 in like 3.4 seconds. Well, I had a Gulf Stream. Okay, that was my first machine, and I had that just because I always, you know, I always liked that machine, and I had that one for about six years, and, you know, I went, <laughs> I went to that many machines because I had a different purpose in mind. I, I wasn't gonna, uh, I was gonna do some art with it, you know, I was gonna, uh, I had this grand idea that I was gonna make, uh, a real artistic statement by taking old machines and, and coming up with my own crazy, bizarre theme for it. And and I picked some real winners. I you know I got Jubilee, and uh, I picked some some ones that I I thought at the time had really crappy artwork. Well, know, so yeah, I mean Gulfstream that you know that I didn't like the artwork on, and um, I didn't know that much about you know which ones were really great players or anything like that. Um, so that's why I bought so many. You know, I was gonna I was gonna fix one up just as is, and then I was going to take another one, you know, because this lady had doubles of, of several machines. So I was going to fix one up to, to make sure how, how it worked and everything, and then the other one was going to be an art project. Well, uh, as much as I tried, no matter how much whiskey I drank, I just could not get the sandpaper onto the play field. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, I kept looking at them and going, gee whiz, these things are too precious, and I just couldn't do it. So then I said, well, crap, what do I do? i got all these pinball machines, and uh, I don't have any place to store them, and I, I hate having them sit there collecting dust. They should be played, you know. And um, I didn't want to do it at my house because uh, I didn't want to subject my wife to that kind of terror of having pinheads come over. So that's when I decided, well, um I found, I found a, a place, a friend of mine uh, turned me on to this little uh, shop that was an upholstery shop, and it was empty. It had been vacant for a year, so rent was like 500 bucks a month, so it was enough room for 19 pins. So I got 19 of them going, and I moved them in. And um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I went to the city, and you know I was going to do it all legit, get a business license and everything, but then they, they said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, for pinball, uh, any coin-op amusement machine, it's, it's uh, you got to get a business license, and then you got to get a license for each machine, and it's uh, $60 per machine per year, and it's non-transferable, you, you know, it goes with the machine. So I just kind of went, ugh. So um, I said, oh, well, thank you, you know, as <laughs> I turned around at least you guys, Oh, so you going to open up a pinball parlor? And I said, uh, no, no. <laughs> and I left. And uh, I went ahead and, and uh, put all the machines in there. I took all the coin mechs out, put them on free play, and I put a donation jar out. And that's kind of how Lucky Juju started. Um, I didn't do any advertising. In fact, I, didn't, I was actually kind of hiding from the city of Alameda because I didn't want the hassle. I didn't want them to come down and go, you know, you're running this without a business license. Because there's no way I could afford it. I don't, you know, no wonder the arcades went out of business. So 
uh, I ran it like that until uh, the fire marshal showed up and um, inspected me. And at that point, the city found out that I had that I, I was indeed, you know, running a pinball parlor. Wait, 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 Mike. Mike, how how did the how did the city how did the fire marshal find out about you? I mean, what? I mean, were you just like spreading? Inspection of, of the whole building. There's other other um, bu- businesses, and you know, it's kind of a weird old building. So they were just making the rounds. They they make the rounds every two or three years, and they just happen to to come in. And um, he, they didn't care about a business license or any of that thing. All they wanted to do was inspect it for fire. So you know, they they came in and did their thing, and then they made a report out and sent it to the city. And that's when the city went, oh, you know. So the city all of a sudden, you know, wham, I get this thing, oh, well, it looks like you've been doing business. And so, uh, you know, you got to cough up this amount of money for however many years you've been doing it, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what if I was a non-profit, you know? And they go, oh, if you were a non-profit, you wouldn't have to pay anything. Well, <laughs> I've been working on my non-profit thing, and right when I got the letter from the city, about two days later, I got approval from the IRS as a non-profit, and they did it retroactive for about almost a year, retroactive from when I asked. So it was with much pleasure that I Xeroxed that copy of the uh, 501c3 and mailed it to the city, and the city basically had to leave me alone. And what is that? What is a 501c exactly? Oh, 501c3. It is a tax-exempt nonprofit status. It's a tax-exempt status that the IRS affords um, any entity that is uh, that follows falls under the guidelines for the 501c3, which basically. It is. Um, it can be a religious organization. It can be a community uh, benefit, a public benefit entity. Uh, it can be an educational facility. Uh, it can be a museum. Um, it can't be like a social club. Um, you know where uh, you know they have they have limitations if you do it if you you know like there's there's um uh a train club that's a train uh, kind of a hobbyist train club they collect trains and they sh- and they formed a 501c3 i kind of looked at what how they did it and basically what it is is you have to do something that benefits the community that you live in so um i i was already doing the art shows along with the pinball, and I was doing I was doing some free community work, like letting um, some um, community groups in, and I was giving you know lectures on pinballs, how they worked, and you know the history of them. So um, I sent them all that material, and they granted me uh, uh, the 501c3. How, how difficult was that? to do i mean is this the same thing like that tim arnold did and and i mean how long did this take you and how much work was it uh yeah it's exactly what tim arnold did um in fact uh tim arnold and i have, have talked about this a little bit 
um, he had got his before I got mine. Uh, it took about a year and a half to two years, and um, it's filling out a lot of paperwork, and you know you have to register with the state. You just basically have to go through the whole process. Um, some people, you know, hire the lawyers, and in fact, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of nonprofits out there now, and it's almost it's become a business almost. Not almost. It has become a business. You know, a lot of people are making money off the nonprofits because um, it, it's hard to do. It's hard to run one. Um, I've, I pretty much do it. Um, I've, I've had a little bit of help, and we have a board of directors, but basically the same way Tim did it, which is, you know, you sit down, you fill out the forms, and you submit them, and... Um, I remember Tim had a little glitch with his, and they sent it back, and he had to, you know, fill in some more forms and, you know, correct something. And they sent mine back once, and basically it was because I hadn't signed something. So I, you know, I was, when I first got it back, I thought, oh, crap, they're not going to give it to me. But then I, I read it, and I said, oh, okay, they just want me to sign this form here. So I signed it, and I sent it back, and then another three months went by. And then all of a sudden I get the letter, you know, so... What, once we had that, then we were able to actually charge admission, and that was real key to making the thing work because um, the donation thing was um, it was great, but um, it didn't work financially <laughs> because um, a lot of people, you know, when you ask for a donation, they uh, you know they'd feel like, well, I don't really want to put anything in, so I'm not gonna, and so. I couldn't force people to put money in. I could give them a dirty look, but that was about it. <laughs> um, so going to, going with the 501c3 allowed me to put up a sign that said admission, and that, and I didn't have to get a business license. Uh, at least pay you know pay the uh, all the fees that they wanted, and I could legally ask for admission. So that finally made it financially feasible because before that we were we were basically losing money. So were you covering the $500 a month in rent and, and, and the electric and so on and so forth? Yeah, rubbers and, you know, rubber rings, parts, all that. Yeah. Now, now you're only open a couple days a week, right? Actually, we're open three days a week now. We used to be uh, just Friday and Saturday night. And then we finally went uh, to Sunday, and eventually our goal is to open up um, every day except for Monday. And and what you're at, you're in what Al- Alameda, California. Yeah, Alameda, California. It's um, on the uh, east side of the of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. We're we're right next to um, Oakland. It's actually an island. Okay, and and the only reason you picked this location is just because the rent was cheap. No, I live here. <laughs> okay, all right. I didn't want to have to travel too far. You know, because we we've got a, uh, an EM pinball club here in Detroit, and we had in kind of like a clubhouse, and we lost it. You know, and, and at the time it was it was basically free, and you know we were gonna we were looking for a place to rent, but it was just. It was just turning into a huge hassle finding somewhere that was a big enough. B everybody would access to, and C we could afford to pay for. You know. Yeah, 
Um, we, well, it, there wasn't any we. At that point, it was just me. And, you know, my, my whole purpose at that point was, um, uh, besides having all these machines that I just didn't want sitting around collecting dust, um, there was no place to play pinball. And it kind of, there was, there was a friend of mine, uh, Mac, who's kind of infamous in the, in the Berkeley, Oakland area, and he had this basement thing going on. Uh, and he would do it every Friday night. In fact, he still does it. And it was, it was such a cool scene. But the problem was, is that you couldn't tell anybody about it. You had to, it was purely, it was a kind of scene, it, you know, it was, it was his house, his basement, and so you, you, the rule was you couldn't tell anybody about it. You had to bring them down there, and um, that way you you were responsible for them. So it wasn't really open to the public. And so I actually talked to Mac and, and said, hey, look, um, you know, I, I really like what you're doing here, but I'd like to make something that the public could come to. So... You know, would you mind if I do that? When uh, I'm just going to put out a donation jar and ask for donations and try to pay for the rent with that. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, well, go ahead. You know, I think that's a great idea, but I don't think it'll work. <laughs> and uh, you know, then <laughs> then it turned out to work pretty well, and he was pretty happy because it took kind of took the load off of him. Well, when you say like, you mean just every Friday night he essentially has a pinball party? Yeah, basically. And what, how many machines does he stop for a while? Because he had a uh, uh, he got married and had a, had a kid, and um, and that's kind of taken up a lot of his time still. But he was he was closed for about a year and a half, and that's kind of right when I was starting to open up. Uh, so actually, we took up the slack because there were a lot of people that were used to going to Max, and now they were then they started coming over to the Juju, and they didn't mind you know kicking in the five bucks and supporting it, you know. Now, with Mac, did he have any donations? No, you just basically brought some beer or wine or something else. And can you have can you have alcohol at your place? No, uh, not anymore. We used to do that, and then we had some uh, neighbors. Um, they called the uh, beverage control people on us, and uh, I had to go to court on that one. Well, what do you mean? Can you explain? What's that? Can you explain that one? Well, basically, every month, uh, the other the other way I, I was getting people to come uh, to check out pinball was I started, um, th- th- this is kind of a unique building. It's, it's, uh, it's inside, but there's these glass windows around the whole space. So I had all these machines lining, and, and you've got to kind of imagine it's just wide enough for two rows of machines with about six feet in between them. So you can get people can walk back and forth real easily, but it's just nothing but machines. And on one side, there's windows. And so from the outside, you're basically looking at the back of a bunch of machines, which, you know, I thought, well, that's kind of a waste. So I, uh, I, started, I built all these panels to put into the glass uh, wall, and uh, what I'd do is, is I'd hang, um, uh, hang artwork up, in there and put it up into the window around the whole thing facing outward and I'd have these art shows so people could come and look at this uh, look at the weird art and then uh, and then they, if they wanted to, to pay, uh, make a donation they could go in there and play pinball and um, that's what really made it take off for us because 
up until that point, we weren't really making the rent. So after we did that, um, we got a lot more people interested in the pinball. But what was the deal with uh, with the alcohol? The, I mean, what was... Uh... I'm sorry, I kind of skirted that question, didn't I? Well, with every art opening, you know, usually you serve alcohol, right? Uh, wine or whatever. And we never would sell it. We'd just buy some bottles, of, cheap bottles of wine, and, you know, we'd have that for people. And um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because we weren't even selling it. And we used to let people bring in their own beer, you know, and it was all cool. Well, the neighbors upstairs um, started getting tweaked because they, they had just had a kid. And I'd done all these favors for them and everything, but I guess we were getting a little noisier down there. And even though we had an understanding and it really wasn't the kind of place that uh, you should be bringing up a kid, eh, they started complaining, and, and we just basically said, hey, look, you know, we're not going to go anywhere. You know, you guys might think about going somewhere because... You know, every the the noisier it is, the better we're doing. You know, so I'm I'm not going to stop that. So they figured, oh, the way to get rid of us would be to call up the ABC and have them bust us, and then they also call the cops up on us. Well, you know, for making too much noise. Well, the cops basically kind of looked at them and said, well, "What are you guys doing here? You got a kid and you're living here." <laughs> so it kind of backfired on them. They had to leave. I, uh, I went to court over the charges, and they were dismissed. Um, but basically, I said, yeah, I, it's it's too much to risk at this point to get busted again, because I think we kind of lucked out. Um, it's it's a gray law about, even though we weren't selling alcohol, um, they call it a, a, a bottle club, I guess, if you have like a some kind of form of entertainment and you charge for it. Um, and you don't sell alcohol, but you let people bring it in. It's basically encouraging a nuisance, I guess. Hmm. So that's that's how that went down. So uh, for private parties, we can let people bring in liquor, but uh, for for when we're open to the public, we have to tell them no. Huh. huh. Now, what the artist thing? You know, how do you, how do you get artists to display their their wares at at, at a pinball place. I mean, it seems really kind of odd. Uh, well, basically, they uh, they usually get a hold of me and show me some of their work, and if it's uh, strange enough, uh, <laughs> then uh, or cool enough, then um, then we make arrangements to to uh, show it. It's got to be pretty much flat art because it goes in between a, a window. Um, basically, they they um, can go online. Uh, we got two websites they can go to. And send stuff in. Um, a lot of it's, you know, word of mouth. They come by, they come by for a show, and they go, "Oh, that's pretty interesting." And I tend to show people that don't get into galleries. You know, like there's a lot of photographers that that take some pretty interesting pictures. And a lot of it, I try to tailor to have something to do with either pinball or the circus or amusement or um, or some facet of that. Um, you know, science fiction, you know, any of that stuff that appeals to, uh, to, um, I guess, kids that never grow up, like me. <laughs> now, where did the Lucky Juju name come from? Well, that came from, uh, gee, that goes way back. Uh, do you ever see a Tarzan movie where, um, where the, the, you know, the, 
<laughs> the uh, Buana is, is marching through, and he's got, you know, uh, the natives are carrying his stuff, and they they stop, and they go on, uh, and he goes, well, what's wrong? Why uh, why are you putting this stuff down? And they, they, they point, and they go, oh, that forest, bad juju. We don't go. <laughs> and he goes, that's nonsense. <laughs> so that's where I heard Juju the first time, was that, that Tarzan movie. Huh. And then I looked it up, and Juju turns out to be this West African belief, kind of like voodoo. But it doesn't have any evil connotations necessarily. It just happens to do with uh, luck. And, gee, I don't know. It just sounded so cool. I couldn't call it the Lucky Mojo. Right. <laughs> All right, now, now, did you ever realize your dream of, you know, of taking a pinball machine and, and re-arting it, as it may be? Well... Yes, to a certain degree I have. Um, I'm still working on, a, on actually a full-size pinball machine that I'm, that's going to be re, redone. And it's, um, gee, do I want to spill the beans? No, yeah. probably not. Oh, come on. I'll, uh, but I, I am still working on that, and I have several other ideas that I've already been working on. And the whole concept behind that is I don't want to ruin a pinball machine. I, I'm, I'm, I decided that I'd only do ones that, you know, the play field was really worn. So the one I'm trying to work on now is a hot shot. It's a, you know, Gottlieb four-player. Right, 1973. Yeah. And so, you know, I know the pool thing on that, it's kind of a, I think it's Gordon Morrison artwork. Um, and not one of my favorites. And... um yeah, I didn't really like the pool-themed games. I mean, some of them are good, but um, that one, I just thought, I always see a lot of pinball machines where I thought, you know, the artwork has nothing whatsoever to do with the play and the action on the play field or on the machine. Like, for example, uh, um, uh, an example of a machine that does have good follow-through on that end, in other words, uh, form follows function, it's like Klondike, you know, Williams, I think, what, 73? Right. Um, it's, the whole theme is striking it rich, right? Uh, you're, in the, you're in the Yukon, and you've struck gold. Well, what do you got on the play field? You've got this little slot machine reel, and if you line them up right and then get the ball in the, in the center pocket, it gives you, you know, uh, two extra balls in a game and 5,000 points or whatever. You, 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 all of a sudden, you know, you don't even know what you did most of the time, and you get the the ball in there in that saucer, and it gives you all this, you know, <laughs> it goes crazy. And uh, I always loved that, you know, because it was like, gee, that's just what it, it says it's going to do. And also another one is like Fireball, a machine that a lot of people can't stand. But really, as far as the art and what the machine does, it's perfect. It it, it on the on the back glass, it's hurling balls at you, and on the play field, it's it does the same thing. I and I, I think that's really important. I think that's that's what's lacking in a lot of the machines um, that are really fun to play, but just you know the artwork doesn't match up. Now, yeah, that makes sense. But tell me now, tell me about the the weird Donnie in the helicopters game. You have that in your museum, right? Yeah, actually, we're going to have an opening on June 6th. Um, that's one that Wade Cross and Dirty Donnie did. Dirty Donnie's um, an artist. Uh, he's actually from Canada. He's been living in the Bay Area for quite a while. Um, 
and he and Wade hooked up on some other project. And Wade Krauss is uh, one of the few people who actually can uh, reproduce a play field um, and has been licensed uh, through Steve Young and Gottlieb to, uh, and he has permission to reproduce play fields. Um, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a Gottlieb knockout play field right here on the wall I'm looking at right now that, that Wade did. Yeah, Wade is just amazing. I mean, he uh, do, do you like it? Um, I I do when I don't. There's some things I like about it and some things I don't. Um, I say overall the quality is excellent, but some of the manufacturing techniques that he did in it I question. Well, you should um, you should ride him because you're a <laughs> you're a maestro yourself, you know. Um, but you haven't installed it yet. No, I have not installed it. Yeah. Um, like one of the things he does, just real quickly, is he didn't like the quality of the plywood, so he actually, you know, um, got plywood and then bought walnut veneer, uh, veneer, I think it was walnut, or some harder wood, and laminated it on top of the, of the high-grade plywood just to get a hard surface, which, um, you know, so he actually started off with better um, plywood than the than the, the pinball companies were using. Yeah, this one's uh, has a birch top, a birch top and back. So okay, um, yeah. Uh, so he and and um, Dirty Donnie got together for that project. Uh, Donnie hand painted the playfield. <coughs> uh, Wade um, he basically reproduced a kingpin, uh, Gottlieb kingpin playfield. And, um, and then Donnie uh, went ahead and painted it, and another another person, Rolf, uh, did some of the metal flake on it. And then Wade also does uh, back glasses, and so he uh, took uh, Donnie's back glass design and screened that on glasses, and that's kind of how they uh, made the money to be able to pr- produce it. Is they sold the back glasses. They made about I think thirty to forty back glasses and sold them, and I, I bought one of those. Yeah, yeah. When these guys, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm never going to install this knockout playfield. I, I bought it just because a, when's anybody else ever going to make them? And b, you kind of want to support these guys when they do it. And c, it, it was, you know, frankly, it was priced pretty fairly. I thought. I to be honest with you, I don't know how he does it. Um, I, uh, he's. Um, He's fortunately um, um, doesn't have much of an overhead because he does it all himself, um, and and he has a day job. But um, I'm really hoping like that he's going to be able to to get this going on a, on a bigger scale because he's able to do what you know, there's I don't know anybody else that, that can do this. He takes a play field um, like. Uh, the the visible pinball. Uh, do you know about that? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, I I know you know the only other guys doing playfields are the guys in Canada. Like when I needed a mermaid, the mermaid project done, um, the guys in Canada did that. You did because you did that one, right? And how did you do the playfield when you reproduced it? Well, I uh, Tim Arnold had a new old stock mermaid playfield, which was kind of an interesting story where he bought back in Lansing, Michigan, when he was living here. He bought a mermaid from a guy that I guess was just trashed, you know, a 1951 Gottlieb Woodrail mermaid. And as he's pulling out, and he bought it for like a hundred bucks. And this is back in the probably the 70s. 
And as he's pulling out of the guy's driveway, the guy comes running out of the house with a box in his hand going, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. And Tim's like, well, you know, what's this all about? And the guy hands him this box, and it's got a brand new NOS Mermaid Playfield in the box. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, so I went to, I flew to Las Vegas and, uh, one summer and I brought a laptop with me and a HP 4600 scanner and I scanned the playfield in. And, you know, I had been sitting on the project for a long time because I wasn't sure if I wanted to spend the money to do this. It's, you know, it's a lot of cake you gotta put up to, to get it done. And, um, and it was, it was a, man, it was a boatload of money. And I wasn't sure that anybody would buy them. I mean, I didn't know how many people needed them. How many mermaids are out there, for that matter, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so you know, I basically, through another guy, I contracted to have these made and, um, you know, gave them the artwork. And, you know, they, uh, you know, they ordered the inserts from Foremost. They got the, um, I, I think they got the wood from, like, Russia or something. The plywoods is, is, I would say, of equal quality to what Wade's using. Um, you know, they, they did overall, they did a pretty good job. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, have criticisms of both, about both, comp, about both Wade's and the Canadian guys. But, you know, overall, they're both doing great work. And I mean, the criticisms are really small, to be frank. You know, they're just little picky, nitpicky things. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Um, cause I believe Steve Young went ahead and, and okayed the, um, the knockout yep, gave yep. it his blessing. Um, so he did get the he, he did get licensed, um, and I know he just did a limited, limited run of those. And uh, you know, part of the problem is um, getting a good uh, original, you know, to base everything on. Right. Um, yeah, and he didn't have. Um, I know in. in in one part, he was making the circles too perfect, and and Steve had to point out. He goes, "No, they're they're actually not that perfect," uh, you know. And so he had to correct that. So it did go through a couple revisions. And um, the, the thing is, is that Wade, I, I believe what he does that's different from everybody else is he actually uh, creates the, um, uh, the files that that where the artwork and the cutting pattern are matched and. Um, from what I understand, the Canadian guys are working off of art files because they're doing, they're basically doing the newer machines like Fathom, I believe, and. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. so they still have the actual, uh, uh, film that was used for silk screening. Right. And once you have that, then all your hole placement is pretty much already done because it's got to match the, the artwork. Whereas if you've got to scan the artwork, and then match it up to a CAD file, you know, that, that takes some, a little bit of doing, you know, and, um, he's, I, he amazes me the way he's done it, cause he, he did it for me with the, with the visible pinball machine. Um, what I did was I handed him a stripped down Surf Champ play field, and he pulled the artwork off of it, and all the hole patterns, front and back, and, then I got that and took it to somebody else to have uh, have it cut out of plastic. Well, first we did a wood mock-up to make sure everything was okay, and then made some corrections and then did the first plastic uh, cutting. And then we ran off uh, four of them, and I took them back to Wade. I put the inserts in, and then he silk-screened the black outline artwork on it. And it all it all matched up, you know, perfectly. 
And then when I put it all back together, the damn thing plays faster and better than a rebuilt new one. Well, just to let people know what you're doing here is basically the visual pinball is a clear pinball machine. Basically, you constructed this thing out of a out of acrylic, right? Uh, yeah, out of um, uh, part of it. The playfield's one type of plastic, and then the the cabinet is um, is acrylic. Yeah. And what what was the what was the thinking behind this? And 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 how long did it take you? And how much did it cost? Yeah, uh, the numbers aren't in on that one yet. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, it took about a year to do it. I'd say it took about, you know, we didn't, we weren't paying ourselves. And in fact, I got a lot of squaring up to do with Wade. I mean, that's the great thing about Wade. He he just liked the project that he and I just worked on it. And, you know, the idea is we were going to sell one of these. Well, we haven't sold one yet. But um, the idea behind it was, um and it's kind of the the idea behind the museum, and it's how we differ from what Tim's doing. Um, Tim is more collection minded, which is great because that <laughs> means I don't have to do that. I'm more science, art, and history minded behind pinball, and a big part of that would be pinball mechanisms and showing uh, uh, people, kids and adults, how these things work. Uh, and so the 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 ultimate um, exhibit would be, in my mind, to have a clear pinball. So that's what I that was the first thing I concentrated on was, you know, what if you could have an electromechanical pinball that you could see everything working while you played it. And at first, I just did a clear play field, and then I realized, well, that's great, but you really can't see everything. So then I thought, well, gee, how much harder would it be to build the whole thing out of clear plastic? And it was hard, but uh, I was amazed how well it's held up. I mean, I've I've been taking it around. Um, I had it at this uh, big maker fair out in uh, San Rafael. I mean, San Mateo, and and I've taken it. I was at the uh, Pacific Pinball Expo last year, um, and now it's going to be living at the uh, at the Juju's new uh, exhibit room. But it's great because pe- kids look at that. And they just go, wow, you know, this is how they work. Well, what, what's that switch doing? What is this transfer? What the heck's that? And you know, what it does is it gets them interested in how they work. And gosh, what do you what do you know? We might have more scientists and less lawyers. <laughs> well, how much does this thing weigh? That's mm, uh, it's. I I can move it and set it up by myself. Is it more than a regular pinball? Yeah. It is. It's. Uh, I'd say it's about three hundred pounds as opposed to two fifty. Okay. In, in just a ballpark, what do you think this costs you to make? About twenty grand to twenty five. Really, that much, huh? Well, no, actually, probably more. I mean, that's not really including all the labor and all the programming. Um, that uh, basically all the programming. You know, it, I'd say you know. The first one's always going to cost you a heck of a lot because you've got to put all this initial work on, into it. But once you have the program, you can crank out a few. Like, we did crank out four play fields. Um, and I can go back and I can crank out more cabinets. And it'll be cheaper because I've already got the program. But that program, that first program, costs you a bundle. Are, are, you, talking about, are, you, are you talking about the CNC router program or something? Correct. Okay. Okay. And so, basically, Wade... 
did manufacture this for you? Uh, Wade did all the programming uh, for the play field and for the cutouts for the head and the light baffle, uh, the mechanical board for the head and the light baffle for the head. And then uh, my brother Christian and I, we built science exhibits for the Exploratorium. He and I and another friend uh, did the CAD work uh, for the cabinet and uh, and the mechanical board and all the other all the other stuff. And so we um, Wade did all the uh, programming and artwork for the plastics and the playfield and the glass. Uh, the back glass, which is basically just plastic with a black outline artwork on it, and um, and then we assembled the whole thing huh. in the shop. And so, like, you're talking about the the light insert panel on the back glass, or that's behind the back glass. That's all clear. Everything basically, everything is clear in the game. Yeah, yeah, everything's clear. Uh, in fact, it's um, it's almost too clear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm not going to say it's hard to play because I, I I play Surf Champ. That's you know that's a really fun game. Um, so I know how I know what everything's supposed to do. But if somebody never played that before, they'd probably kind of get you know it's kind of a little overwhelming because even though the information is there as so to what scores you know how, how things score and stuff like that, not having the artwork there is really distracting. Yeah. You know with the. Uh, Seeing through it, and um, and the ball moves quite a bit faster on that plastic playfield. Now, do you have um, so the playfield basically is the black key lines on it? And I know what you mean. I played white woods and key line playfields, and 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 it they're weird to play. They just it's not it's the same kind of pinball that you're used to. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, do you imagine one that that didn't even have wood there that you could see right through it? So. Right. It's even it's even stranger, and the lights are a little more intense too. Oh yeah. Now, do you how do you light the like the the bottom cabinet and the bottom board? Do you light anything? Um, well, it's got all the standard lights, of course. It's 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 basically it's the whole machine exactly as it is. Only everything's reprodu- everything wood is reproduced in the same thickness uh, of plexiglass. Uh, but we did add in my my uh, my brother Christian is a neon uh, artist. So he he bent up a big long um, U of, uh, of uh, white phosphor coated neon, which we put in the bottom of the of the uh, underneath the mechanical board, and uh, it's on a it's actually on a dimmer and everything, so you can adjust the the, uh, the brightness of it, and it lights up the whole thing. So that actually really helps for the uh, exhibition part of it, you know, for showing people all the mechanisms because they're now they're all they're all lit up from below so you can clearly see everything interesting okay now tell me about um the lucky you said something about a lucky juju exhibition room yeah we um the juju started off as one room and then we got a little storage room which became the shop then we added on another room as <laughs> i guess us playing pinball there kind of drove the other people out um and so we got another room, and in that room, the first room was electromechanical machines only. The second room, I decided, well, people want newer stuff, so I put some 80s, uh, late 70s and early 80s solid-state machines. And then we got a third room. Um, and mind you, these rooms are small. 
there's maybe six machines in the, in the second room. And then in the third room, I said, oh, what the hell? They're really screaming for Twilight Zone and these other machines, which I swore I'd never have. But um, I, found, I happened to find a couple really cheap. So I got Twilight Zone and Adam's Family and then some other machines came in. So I put some DMD machines in there. Because the whole point, you know, hey, so you got to represent the whole era. So that was uh, the three three eras that I thought we could dealt, deal with. I'd like to deal with earlier machines, but the truth of the matter is anything with a push-up on it, they don't get. They don't understand that you got to push the ball up. And I, we have a lot of kids come through here. And, you know, I'd, I'd be burning out coils right and left if I put those in. So the last room, I decided, okay, if I'm going to do the history of pinball, a little short version of the early stuff, that's where to do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to put the clear pinball in there. I've got this other uh, kinetic pinball art piece that I did. And then I've got a lineup of uh, – I've also got uh, – Wade and Dirty Donnie's uh, helicopters machine, and then um, I, I put in a Bally bumper, and then a uh, Humpty Dumpty. I'm getting that on Friday. Somebody's going to loan it to us. And in the middle of that, I'm really honored that um, we got Russ Jensen's Metro. Um, and you, you know, Russ Jensen was. Uh, an incredible pinball historian. If you look on the IPD, geez, sure. I think more than three quarters of the pictures <laughs> seem to come from him. And um, at, when he passed away last year, a lot of people donated money, um, and they managed to buy his his favorite machine from the family, which was Metro. And this is mainly the work of Rob Hawkins and Don Muting, who did the Pinball Collector's Resource. Right, right. Um, and Tim Arnold had the Metro for a while, and then it went to Pinagogo, and it was there for a bit. And then uh, I just picked it up from Pinagogo, and it's going to live at the uh, the Lucky Juju's exhibit room for a while. Now, these machines, do you own all these machines, generally speaking, or do people loan you machines? Uh, I, own, I own the lion's share of them, um, and I have a few machines that are on loan. Uh, Dan Miller's uh, loaned uh, a couple of machines, and Larry's Artarian uh, is always uh, extending the loan of machines to us. He has a pretty incredible uh, Gottlieb uh, wood rail uh, collection and a wedgehead collection. Um, and Dan Miller, uh, he lent me a DMD, um, the Pinball Magic, and also the um, a real favorite, um, that Stern um, Orbiter One. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. So now, but your original intention was to stay electromechanical then? Yeah, yeah, that was the original intent. Um, and I, I tell you, I've kind of held true to the one thing that I, that I wanted to do, which was I want to make it, uh, I wanted to separate the sounds. I just... The one thing that always used to drive me nuts was when I'd be playing an electromechanical and they're, you know, listening to those sweet chimes and bells and there's some electronic machine going, you know, crazy or talking or some such crap. And I just thought, you know, not that I, I, not that I didn't like that, the electronic stuff. I loved it. I, I do electronic music in my spare time, but I just didn't like to hear them together. To, to me, it was just like, ugh. 
you know. So, uh, so I separated them. So in one room it's nothing but chimes, and in the other room you can you can get your electronic fix. But um, right. but I just I, I keep them separated, and that's one thing that I'll I'll always do. Hmm. And um, we actually do that at at the expo. Um, which can I talk about that for a second? Well, wait be, before we get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come to that in just a second. But to, you know, one thing that we touched on and we didn't really talk about was the Dirty Donnie game. Um, that, you know, we we talked a little bit about that. Now, is this machine that you have actually his, or, or were there multiple made of this of this game? It's one of it's one of a kind. It's um, yeah, there's only one of them made. And it was based on the '73 Gottlieb Kingpin, which is a a good drop target game. And he and where did he come up with the? What is the artwork theme on that? Well, uh, do you know the band Helicopters? It's a Swedish rock band. Well, that's that's what it's based on. Um, I to be honest with you, I don't know if they asked them him to do that or not, but. Um, Oh, I know what it was. They asked him to do the album cover. They asked Dirty Donnie uh, to do an album cover for the band. So he did that, and the artwork is is based on, um, I don't know if you remember Ed Big Daddy Roth from yeah. the um, 60s and 70s. Yep. He did um, Rat Fink. Yep, yep. Okay. It's that kind of art, you know, with the monster... Uh, the monsters driving a Ford, you know, right. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, with the big shifter in the air and all that stuff. Yeah, that's the kind of style it is. And uh, the helicopters band really wanted that, so he had done their cover. He basically took that cover and trans transferred it into a back glass with the help of Wade, and then they went ahead and, and finished the whole thing with um, uh, with the play field and. They didn't stop there, though. It was kind of neat. Wade went ahead and modified the play field. He put in, I think, four or five big holes in it with uh, with covers. And Dirty Donnie's trademark is a shrunken head. And he actually makes these little model shrunken heads that you can buy, and he paints a lot of shrunken heads. And they're, re- they're classic. They're, they look really cool. So... Wade modified the circuitry so that you have to go do certain things and it lights up a shrunken head from underneath the play field. And it's a pretty cool effect because it's, uh, it's an actual little model or a little rubber shrunken head and it's underneath the play field. And the, the, the hole he cut out is about an inch and a half in diameter and it's covered with clear plastic. And you can't see anything until it lights up. And once it lights up, there's this shrunken head under there, and it, you know it, it almost looks like a hologram, but it's actually the 3D, you know, shrunken head. So you light up, uh, I think, four or five shrunken heads, and when you get to the last one, then the um, siren on the top, the spinning, flashing light siren, goes off, huh. and you win an extra ball. But it's really hard. I mean, it's incredibly hard to do it. Wow. Hmm. Well, now, what's this other thing that you uh, you also made, like an aluminum trailer with pinball machines in it that you bring to some of the shows? What's up with that? Oh, that's that's the little juju, and that was um, uh, 
sprang out of an idea that uh, this one one person who's been helping me through this um, helped me work in the little um, the lucky juju since its inception, and his name's Jim Gruber, and he's just one of those people who just really liked what I was doing and just started helping me run it, and. He, um, He's always coming up with these ideas, and this was another harebrained idea of his. He said, hey, look, why don't we put some pinball machines on a truck and take them around, you know, and try and, you know, get people to play pinball like that, you know. It's like we're always trying to get people to come to the juju. So we were jamming on that, and then all of a sudden this um, this old Spartan Manor um, just kind of appeared, you know. The guy wanted uh, about 1200 bucks for it, and it was like a 1947 Spartan Manor, um, it's like a, an Airstream, only better. Uh, they're a little better built. Um, but it's 1947, so it needed a lot of work, but it was just what I wanted because I wanted to gut it, you know. So it, it took us about a year and a half, and uh, we actually popped the body off. We, we took everything out. And we got it down to a shell, an aluminum shell, and it's built like an aircraft, so it's got um, it's got bulkhead aluminum bulkheads in there and we actually you know took the body off the frame and it's a metal frame because the floor was shot suffice it to say i reinforced the whole metal frame with the help of, of another person dylan kelly who did a lot of the welding then we put in a new axle uh so that so that it would uh, wouldn't jar the machines too much we put in a battery box so that we could put 12 batteries to, uh in there and an inverter, so if we ever wanted to go camping and play pinball, we could do that. We wouldn't need electricity. And then the last thing we did was we put in four hydraulic feet, and that that was really cool. Um, so those welded into each corner of this whole thing. Now the whole thing's about 25 feet long. It's about um, seven feet tall on the inside, probably less than that. Actually, it's about six and a half feet tall, and it doesn't go it do, it doesn't curve dr- uh drastically like an airstream it goes up the walls go up straight and then they curve over it looks like a big silver loaf of bread that that's kind of leaning forward like it's in a hurry so when i uh i've got all the machines and i have to strap them in the back so that i can tow it otherwise it's it's too heavy on the tongue of the of the tow vehicle so uh i i push them all in the back and it and it holds six machines and then when I show up, uh, you know, wherever I'm going to put it, I, I unhitch it, and um, then I, I go inside and I uh, push a button, and all the hydraulic feet come down, and it lifts the whole thing up, and it levels itself. And it does it pretty well. I mean, I, I rarely ever have to correct it. And so it, it's up on all four feet, so it's not on the wheels, and there's no, it's not sprung in any way, and it's really solid. And everything's level, so then I push all the machines into place, and uh, and, I'm, and uh, if there's electricity, I plug into their juice, and I'm good to go. <laughs> and and what are the six machines that you're running in it? Well, right now, because I, I take it to a lot of schools, and um, you know, I'm trying to trying to get it on you know the educational thing. There are pinballs from outer space, so I've got. Um, let's see, as you walk in the door, first thing you see is uh, Skylab. And then Apollo, and then 2001, and then I've got Outer Space, and then I've got uh, Space Odyssey, 
and then the last machine in the back is Mars Trek. I was I was waiting for you to say Mars Trek. I was really waiting for that one. <laughs> well, I tell you, the one I'm working on right now that we're restoring down at the at our storage is uh, Rocket Three. Oh, yeah, the Bally game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty rare game. Got a Tim Arnold's, and and I just said, man, that's that's a cool game. Yeah, it's really rare. Yeah, I know, and it's so weird because we're a five hundred one c three. We we run a little thing in Craigslist. We say, hey, you know, why don't you donate your machine to us, and we'll give you a tax write off. So we actually get we've gotten a few machines that way, and it's great. Um, and some of them get fixed up, and they go right into the juju. Like um, uh, the guy, what was his name? Paul, I think. Uh, Gave us a uh, embryon, you know, and it was in great shape. A little, little wear on the play field, but you know, didn't really have to do anything to it. It went right in there, and people love it. Uh, Rocket Three, <laughs> that was like uh, like one of your road trips that I've seen on the DVD, where we had to go up in the Northern California into some backwoods territory that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't believe. I mean, I couldn't make this stuff up. And me and uh, Dan Fonts, another uh, Juju regular and uh, helper, and he and I, you know, it took us a whole day to go up there. But this guy, you know, called, uh, wrote me an email and said, "Yeah, I got this Rocket Three, and you know, you just kind of you go, well, can you send me a picture? No, nah, I don't have a camera. I go, well, uh, you gonna donate it? And, yeah, I'll just give it to you guys. So, so we go up there, you know. Well, it, uh, we finally get there and we see it's out on the porch. And I just go, oh shit, man, this thing's probably, you know, a real turd. And we just spent, I don't know how much in gas and whole day going out to get this thing. And and, it, and it's just like all the paint is just totally flaked, you know, on the on the side of the cabinet. And I go, oh shit. So we go, oh, okay, you know, we go up there and we look at it. And the back glass is pretty near perfect. And the play field was, was you know, didn't have it, the, the wear, you know. And that, and all the plastics were there, <laughs> so it just kind of went, wow, you know, wow, that's great. So uh, we thanked him profusely and loaded it up, and so now we're in the process of painting it. Huh. Thanks to your DVDs, by the way. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, so you get you put a thing on Craigslist, and how many machines do you think you've had donated? Oh, probably at least twenty. Wow, that's pretty good. Now, how many machines does the Juju own? Well, the Juju doesn't really, um, well, the Juju is, is me, uh, and I, and actually the Juju is not the nonprofit. The nonprofit is the Neptune Beach Amusement Museum, and it's actually, we're changing the name to the Pacific Pinball Museum. And the way it works is, um, I still own all my machines, and, uh, I just lend them to the nonprofit, gotcha. and the nonprofit gets to generate money off of them for the uh, uh, for the museum effort. Uh, it, I don't it, know if that it, makes it, sense, but basically, um, they any machines that are donated to the museum, those belong to the museum. But the Juju is actually because I started it, and I didn't start it as a corporation. I just started it as a as a sole owner, so all the machines that I buy, um, they still belong to me. At some point, I will donate them all to the museum. But at this point, um, 
machines donated to the museum belong to the museum, and my machines I'm just loaning to the museum. Right. That's pretty much how Tim Arnold's doing it, too. Yeah, yeah, real similar. In yeah. fact, it's funny, when Tim and I first met, um, uh, he, I was staying at his house. It was through a friend of a friend, and he came up to me and, and told me he was jealous of me. <laughs> I kind of went, I went well, he kind of floored me. I said, what? What are you talking about? I go, I... I said I got like what twenty machines in my little little in the juju and you know what are you talking about? You got a thousand machines and you're the god of pinball and uh, and he goes, well yeah, but you're doing it. And I said, what do you mean doing it? He goes, you're you're running it. You're you're out there doing it and you're open every weekend and you've been doing it for three years now. And we I don't understand how you do it. And I just so I just said, well, Tim, you know. You're really fixated on buying uh, the building, which I think is admirable. But you kind of miss the boat. So why don't you, you know, why don't you do what I did? Just rent a place. And he that he didn't like that idea at first. But that, you know, after he ran the numbers, he could he saw that, you know, for the time being, um, he'd actually make more money, and he'd be doing what he wanted to do, which was have machines out there for people to play, and he could actually raise money. Uh, doing that, and it turned out he, that he's doing just that. He's, he's, I think he's raised more money for the museum for his museum effort than uh, in the past two years uh, than he ever did during the fun nights. Right, right, and it's more credible too because he actually has an establishment. Yeah, know? I know that's and that's what he really wanted to do. I said, well, you know, you just just ought to do it. Just you know. Yeah, who likes to rent? I don't like to rent. I'd love to buy a building, but I don't have the money. You don't have the money, so you know, just rent, and then, you know, then you'll not only, you know, be making some money and saving more up, but you'll also be establishing yourself, you know, and right. so and and he has. I mean, look at what he's done. Right. Right. Yeah, and I should mention that when we mentioned Tim Arnold, of course, this is the Pinball Hall of Fame, which is pinballmuseum.org. And then the lucky juju. Why don't you give us? Well, why don't we? Why don't you give us all your websites? Oh, okay. The juju website is www.ujuju.com. Kind of ujuju.com. And the museum website is www.nbam.org. It's Nancy Baker Adam Mary. Stands for Neptune Beach Amusement Museum. dot org. And, and what is the what is the whole? I mean, your 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 purpose of this museum and that. I mean, it sounds like ultimately that's where you're heading with Lucky Juju is is like some sort of of real mu- You know, I don't know. Maybe not real, but uh, is a bad word to use. But uh, you know, like a a, mu- an, a physical museum. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at. Um... I mean, it's very similar to Tim, except for um, I. I don't think either of us have a museum at this point. Um, I have one room that's kind of museum-like, or it's going to be when it opens. But I don't really consider either of us to have a museum because a museum is is not just a collection. I mean, it is it is information. It's exhibits, and it's interactive. 
Now, he's got, and it's a collection. So he's certainly got the collection, and it's certainly interactive. I mean, interactive isn't a requirement, actually, for a museum. But the thing that's lacking on both of ours is education. You know, uh, there's, uh, and, and it's kind of funny, when Tim and I talk about this, he, like, we have a, a few differences. One is, he coins all his machines. All mine are on free play. He's always, he's always bugging me to like coin my machines, and it's just like, and I'm always saying, no, no, I, I think you ought to put them on free play and charge a flat fee. <laughs> you know, and I can't. You know, there's advantages going either way. But the one thing that that we get into cahoots about is, or get get into a tiff about is, um, you know, I really think um, to call yourself a museum, you gotta. You got to have some exhibits. You got to um, have some educational content to all of this. Um, now he's got those little signs that he puts up, uh, but most of them are all faded and everything. And that's a good start. And I, I was trying to offer to help him clean that up a bit. And I, um, you know, it, it, it's overwhelming. Tim does an incredible job. I mean, he's only got the hippie to help him and and Charlotte. And, you know, I got my wife, Melissa, and, I, and a handful of other people, but it's a huge task. And, and it's funny, you'd think there'd be all sorts of people out there just dying to help you. Um, but it's, when it comes down to it, you know, you got to open, deal with the public, and fix machines all the time. It's pretty hard. Now, how many machines are physically at the Lucky Juju? How many, how many games? Yeah. Uh, I think 36. Uh, I think there's 34 pinball machines, a bowler, a puck bowler, and a um, uh, a sea wolf. Right. Okay. I know, that's a video game. But. Right. All right, we'll be back in a moment with Michael Sheath of the Lucky Juju after these messages. Deep in the forests of eastern Canada, you will find something, well, groundbreaking. And something that's very, very pinball, but something that's really, really small? Presenting classic Playfield reproductions. Two guys in their basements. We've got the passion, we've got the gear, and we've got the quality. Doing our very best to remake classic and more modern pinball replacement parts. Classic Playfield reproductions. Playfields, back glasses, plastic sets. On the web at classicplayfields.com. This portion of TopCast is brought to you by Pin Game Journal, covering the world of pinball. Visit them online at www.pingamejournal.com. All right, we're back with Michael Sheath of the Lucky Juju uh, with some more of his uh, pinball museum stories. Tell me about your show. You do a you do a show in uh, in California too. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, last year, um, our, you know, our goal trying to, to get a bigger space uh, for the museum, so we needed to raise awareness. And also, there's two shows here already. There's the Pinagogo and there's the Cali- California Extreme. And both of them are, are different from each other. And uh, I got approached by another pinball enthusiast out here, Jim Dietrich, 
uh, from Pinball Revival. And he operates a shop in Novato, and he's uh, probably the best um, restor- restoration, pinball restoration for electromechanical uh, out here on the West Coast. And he said, you know, I want to do my own, I want to do a show. Let's do, you know, you, should, you and I should get together and do a show. And um, I said, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great idea. What do you have in mind? said, well, I want to do it at the Marin Civic Center. And I thought, oh, crap. You know, that's the Frank Lloyd Wright. He's a famous architect design the, the, the main building. And it's in Marin County, which is, you know, kind of infamous, I think, worldwide for being very expensive, you know, and this and that. And I thought, holy crap, you know, that's, that's going to be expensive. But then I thought, you know, I've been to a, a few pinball shows, Allentown and, and um, you know, Pinagogo, Cal Extreme. And for the most part, um, you know they're they're not always held in the in the nicest place, and I and the whole thing behind that was like when I went out to look at the place, I went, wow, this this is over the top, you know, this is a really nice place. It has a big old lake behind it, you know, and it's just in a really nice area, and it's beautiful. So we looked at dates, and October, the first weekend in October came up, so. We started talking to them. We had to wait and wait and wait to find out if these people were going to cancel because once somebody does a show there, they, they get it every year unless they opt out. Well, finally they opted out, so we said, okay, let's go for it. So we put down the deposit, and then Jim and I started talking, and we just said, look, uh, you know, we got a bunch of people interested, and our, our concept was to do a pinball show that had uh, the the whole range of pinball machines. And we're real fortunate to have a collector out here, uh, Richard Conger, who has Silver Silver Ball Ranch. This guy's been collecting pinball since 1952. Uh, he's got a... <laughs> he's a shop teacher up in Sebastopol, California, or he, or he was. He's retired at this point. Um, he taught, taught auto shop. And he's been collecting pinballs. His card says, you know, Richard Conger, Silver Ball Ranch, Pinball Amasser. And I don't know exactly how many machines he has. It probably isn't as quite as many as Tim, but pretty close. And the thing is, is that he's concentrated on really, uh, well, he's actually collected the whole gamut, but his earlier years, he was collecting the really early, early pinball machines. And um, then he would restore them and fix them up and then, Anybody who wants to go see him can call him up and go up there, and he's more than happy to show him to you. You know, um, but it's not—it's um, like a museum at, at his at his ranch, and he's got these barns where he has them set up in. Well, so we said, okay, we got to hook up with him, and we got to get Larry's Artarian's got this incredible collection of wedge heads and wood rails, and then another collector, Joe Sweeney, just in beautiful machines that he's been collecting and restoring. Then Don Hiley, who was from Pinagogo, also has a bunch of newer machines. So we managed to put together, and then I have all the machines I've been collecting, which is mainly 70s machines. So I brought about 100 machines into the into the pot. Um, Richard, his machines weren't for play, but he covered the earlier machines. We're talking from 1930 up to 1940. Everything pre-flipper, and then uh, 
Joe Sweeney and Larry Zartarian brought their collections. So we ended up with um, on the floor for play over 300 machines, and then for just looking at historical machines, Richard had about 50 machines. And then I wanted to really set up an, a special area where you had machines uh, that were either pre-flipper or pretty rare uh, that you could play. And so I brought a Bally Bumper and a Moonshot and um, a Kings. And Dan Miller uh, brought um, his Rockola collection, which is, um, he had the World's Fair, or World Series. And, um, gosh, I forget. He also brought uh, Baffle Ball um, and then Cliff uh, from uh, Cliffy's Protectors brought a Blue Ribbon. You know, so we had a little area there which uh, you could you could play machines supervised. There was you know maybe six or seven machines, <clears throat> and then I had a little section of the science part of pinball. So we had the history and then the science, and I borrowed a bunch of uh, exhibits from the Exploratorium uh, dealing with electromagnetism and circuits, and then I had the clear pinball and some other stuff and. Um, it was it was pretty incredible. I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it. Yeah, I did, and it looked amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was jaw dropping. People came in; I, they had no idea. I mean, we worked so hard on it, and they came in the door, and I literally we would sit there and watch them, and their jaws would drop. You know, we go, "Wow, we're we're actually making bets," you know, as to how far they would open their mouth, and you know, because nobody had really done you know the whole the whole package and i thought that that you know and jim really believed in the whole thing and everybody really believed in it and the thing that brought it all together was uh dan Fonce did this poster uh of this uh like alphonse muka um wo- uh, woman playing pinball and it just summed the whole thing up because she's playing this old you know it, it was a fantasy pinball machine that he made up uh, out of some uh, a picture of some art deco furniture and he just put some legs on it and she's she's playing it and she looks like she's out of the 30s you know and uh the image just like caught everybody's attention cuz it was like really different it looked like an old uh you know rock poster from the San Francisco Fillmore days or something right and uh, and so that kind of like just got the enthusiasm going and um we are doing it again this year only we're going to add in a whole section uh, of art and um we uh we've got a bunch of custom-made machines uh and i'll tell you about another one um but these custom art machines plus uh dan and ed castle have been painting these back glass murals They've been taking back classes like uh, Fireball in 2001 and Mermaids, actually, and you supplied the pictures for that one. And they've been they've blown them up and and they're painting them and they're just we had one up at the at the expo last year. That's the first one and Dan Fonts did it and it was uh, Majorettes and that was one of Larry's games. And and it was there it was it was like uh, ten feet by ten feet. It was huge and it was hanging up on the wall. And uh, some people, you know, you know, were just blown away by that because we we didn't, you know, cause any big attention to it. We just it just hung up on the wall in the back, you know, and it was this huge. I'd, I'd never seen anything like that, you know. So um, 
those are now all hanging up at the Juju and the NBAM uh, museum room for our opening. Now, now, do you think you'll be able to, you know, you had 300 playable machines set up in 2007. For 2008's show, do you think you'll be able to get the same number of machines or, or more or whatever? No, we're going to have more. You are, for sure. Yeah, because, um, see, a lot of people didn't bring, to, didn't bring machines um, because, it, you know, it was our first show. They, they don't know it's from, uh, you know, from Jack, so... Uh, so they didn't know, and um, so basically, all those machines were supplied by me and and um, and Larry and and um, Joe, Richard Conger and Don Hiley, um, and you know a lot of group like uh, Helmet and Deanna brought machines and you know small groups, but this year you know people are gonna um, bring in they're gonna bring a lot more machines and hopefully there's gonna be a lot more machines for sale. Um, and Mac, Mac's going to show up, and I know he's going to bring a boatload of machines because I'm going to make him, because uh, a lot of this is his fault. <laughs> um, and I hope we're going to get. I don't know if you knew Jim Tolbert. He was uh, he used to run for amusements only out here in, in Berkeley. Isn't he live in Mexico now or something? He's in Mexico, but he was at the Pinagogo, and I got to hang out with him. <laughs> trying to convince him to come up for this because. He really liked the Pinagogo this year. He's he's been in you know Mexico for eight eight years or so, and um, I think I think he liked liked uh, getting you know he was pre- he was pretty famous in the whole pinball scene. He wrote that book Tilt, and um, he's a pre- very interesting guy. Hmm. Um, but I uh, we have a separate uh, website for that actually. Can I give that? Yeah yeah sure. It's um, www.pacificpinball.org. And for 2008, what are the dates? Uh, this is unfortunate. It is the um, it is the first weekend in October again because that's that's what we have to stick to from now on. And it is October. Um, gee, what is it? October third, fourth, and fifth. But that's those are the. It's essentially the same dates as Pinball Expo in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. It's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, and the Expo in Chicago goes from Wednesday, right? Which is right. the first. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Wednesday's. Yes. The, it's yeah. the same dates. It's unfortunate. Um, we uh, we, <laughs> we were going to wait till we had the poster. I mean, we already our date was already set. So yeah, it's unfortunate, um, but uh, that's that's the way it happens sometimes. And um, no, but we'd love to have you come out and be a, a guest speaker on Saturday if, if you'd like to do that. I don't want to put you on the spot, so I won't do that. <laughs> no, I'm I'm I, I gotta clear with some things here, but you know I'm I'm pretty much I'm pretty much in. Okay. You know. Well, that would be excellent. It's great speakers like uh, Bear Komarov, who lives up. Uh, up north, uh, and he's he's done that book, um, you know, care and maintenance of pinball, which a lot of people buy, and it's it's, it's really good. Um, I learned myself. I learned off of your DVDs, so you're my hero. Yeah, boy, I'm just everybody's hero. Yeah, it'd be great to have uh, to have you out there, um, and it is pretty mind-boggling, and it's all because of the fact that he's back in 1952 when. 
you know, some of it was what, you know, ten years old. <laughs> so it's in pretty good shape. So uh, I've never been to this show, and it sounds really, really interesting. Um, I, I mean, and three hundred machines, and and mostly electromechanical. Are you saying? Yeah, the majority is electromechanical. Um, that is actually um, we're 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 going to be upping the amount of newer machines because uh, I hate to face the bitter reality, but uh, the people people like to play the newer machines. Um, I personally like the electromechanical machines. Um, I like them both, but. Um, uh, yeah, our emphasis is on is on the electromechanicals because um, you can still play a lot of the newer machines in, in a lot of places. So um, uh, it's it's the older ones, and that's why the Juju was started. There was no place to play electromechanical pinball machines, uh, nowhere at all. Um, you know, very, like two or three bars in the whole Bay Area had electromechanical machines, and so uh, I, I like to see that kind of a show just because it's a you know, it's a rare opportunity to be able to go in there and, and just see all those uh, machines from 30, 40 years ago or, or, or more and, be, and set up and you get to play them, you know. Now, uh, as far as, like, the um, you talked about at the Juju, you couldn't have any manual ball load or push-up games, as you call them. What, what is the deal with that? You're saying that people just don't get that? Uh, there's basically two issues. Um, now Mac does it at at Mac's place, you know, on Friday night. He's he's got most of his machines are manual, you know, spoon fed. I don't like to do it because I'm dealing with the public, and um, I get enough of the uh, little kids coming up going, "Hey, Mister, that ball stuck," you know, and you got to go over there and shake it for him. <laughs> I get really tired of that. And the last thing I want is, hey, this machine's broken because the ball didn't come up, right? And you got to explain to them how it works. So then what they do, and I, I'll tell you, I know this from experience, because when I first started the little juju, I put a bally bumper in there. And then I put a, and then after they beat the crap out of that, and it, uh, I put a bally rocket in there, uh, you know, which was a push-up. And they'd beat the crap out of that. And the, and the one thing they'd do is they'd, they would love to, you know, get all the balls racked up and then just pound the, uh, the shooter to get them all playing, you know. Yeah, you mean they'd load multiple balls into the shooter lane and, and, and yeah. You know, and, you know, A, that ain't the way you play it. And, B, it's really hard on the machine. And the, the last thing is that a lot of machines are set up you know, and I know it's e- it's an easy fix, but I, I just you know I don't like doing. It. Is that when you punch off a game uh, that's a uh, spoon fed? Um, if you don't push up that first ball and launch it and engage the first ball relay, then that coil that you know releases the balls down to, to for loading just stays on. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a hold coil. It stays in until the first point is scored. You know. Yeah. Unless you you got to modify it, and there's a, a few ways you can do it, but I just you know, I to me it's just not worth it. Um, the other thing is that I can't afford those kind of machines. I have very few of them. Um, the ones I tend to get that are like that are really all pre-flipper, and believe me, people they just don't get it. Um, 
So I'm kind of at the whim of the public on that one. And I'll, if I ever get a huge building and uh, have enough staff to maintain it, then, yeah, I would put push-ups in. But in the kind of situation I have now, you know, I can't do that. It's just, it's just too much... Um, too much labor, and I think I would lose a big audience. I mean, if I hadn't put in some modern machines, I'd probably lose, you know, I probably wouldn't have as big a crowd as I do. But once, once I started putting the solid state in, you know, I got, I got a whole other generation of people that remembered those machines and, and so on. And then when I put the newer machines in, then I get another crowd, you know, that, that likes to play those. So you got to kind of, you know, spread it out like that um, and um, the advantage of that is that you do get some spillover you get people that came in there for the new games that like that discover hey the old games are pretty cool too and they start playing those you know yeah yeah I kind of find that uh, I you know like I, I've got in, in my basement I've got a hundred games set up and restored and and i've got stuff ranging from you know 1950 up to you know 2007 and it's like most people just don't really get the wood rails um some people get the wedge heads um but uh, you know but really the most people congregate towards the newer solid state stuff and it it really kind of breaks my heart to be frank, I mean, I've got the solid state stuff, but I, I mean, to me, it's all the. I didn't know you had that many machines set up. That's incredible. Yeah, I've got a pretty huge basement thing going in, and it to me, it just breaks my heart to have this many restored wood rails and wedge heads that you can't find anywhere, and people just aren't all that interested in it. It just breaks my heart. Yeah, no, it. I, I hear you because uh, it is painful. <laughs> You know, but um, I guess I, I kind of learned uh, a, a bit from um, from Steve Hopper and uh, from Tim Arnold. Um, <laughs> they gave me some advice, and I I think I've, I I uh, managed to realize the wisdom of it. And that was um, you know, well, a couple of things. You kind of got to give people you know what they want. It's not what you want; it's what they want because. Um, basically you got to depend upon them um but the other thing was <laughs> i was of course you know i was only going to have electromechanicals and and, and uh, i always thought every one of them was precious and then i think uh, they, they told me they go mike you're still in the romantic phase of of pinball you know uh and pretty soon you'll recognize them for the quarter whores that they are <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's, that's kind of the truth of it, you know, and, uh, yeah, it, it is too bad. That's why, I, um, I, you know what, you know what though, uh, Clay, some things happen that really make it all worthwhile. I mean, you know, sometimes you just go, God, if I see another kid, you know, <laughs> with flipperitis, you know, where they sit there and just go, you know, there's slapping the flippers, and you and you realize, God, you know, that's why they're breaking all the time. But then you get an old timer comes in and just like, you know, sees what you have, and it just and just comes up to you and just gives you, you know, and says, man, 
This is really great. I'm really glad you're doing this, and I really hope you stay open for a long time because this is, you know, I haven't seen this for <laughs> for so long, and I used to play these games, and they tell you a few stories, you know, and you just got to go, wow. And at the expo, the most beautiful thing happened was when, I mean, I, I literally had to go, <laughs> go off somewhere and shed a tear because it really hit me. This I saw this this old man, and he had a little boy next to him who was on a like a, a milk crate or something. I think because we brought milk crates in, and you know I was watching him play, and he, they were both playing these uh, electromechanicals from from the juju, and um, and he the little kid looks up and goes, "Hey, Dan, uh, hey, Grandpa, I just scored you know 100 points." You know, and the grandpa's like, he goes, "Yeah, I just lit my ABC," you know. And it was just like, wow, you know, they they just share this experience that's going to be a memory for that little kid forever, you know. And it was it was just this transgenerational bonding that happened. And I've, I mean, you ever going to see that with video games or with, you know, with anything else? I mean, it's it was such a special moment, and they had it together right there, and it, and it just that was really cool, you know. It made me feel really proud that we had done something that was capable of achieving that you know yeah i i i know what you mean it's like i i i it's a little different because i've got these games all set up in my basement and i've spent just oodles of time restoring you know in my in my basement environment i've got all these ems you know i mean i've, I've probably got 30 solid states but everything else is electromechanical and and i got a, just a ton of stuff that you just i mean games i'm talking about that you can't find anywhere much less playable you know i mean you could go to tim arnold and yeah tim arnold's got tons of wood rails but he only has a couple at the pinball hall of fame you know i mean they're not you know he doesn't concentrate on wood rails he concentrates on like 70s ems and and newer stuff so i mean just to find this stuff much less find it where it's like playable and like really playable and really restored to me and 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 people just kind of walk past it and just kind of like they just don't get it it just it just kills me because they're they're missing something that that i just i don't understand it's something that that they're never going to see somewhere else and they're never going to be able to experience anywhere else and i'm like you know you're missing an opportunity you can go and play simpsons pinball party or or lord of the rings or or, or Getaway, or Twilight Zone. I mean, crap, there's got to be, you know, 250 people in Michigan that got those games in their basement. But where are you going to go play a, a, you know, a Marble Queen, or or a Niagara, or, you know, a Spot Bowl, or, or you know, or a Queen of Hearts, or any of that stuff? And, the, and people just, they just, it just doesn't hit them, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I know, and you also have some of these amusement games that I just, like, drool after. I mean, I... I I never even seen this stuff. Um, I, I know Mac had this one called Sky Raiders. Yeah, and it's got the real uh, the hot looking babes, uh, and I think it was done in the fifties. And they they yep. all got little jetpacks and, and guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible artwork. I think Dan's actually uh, going to be doing, starting a mural for that one. Yeah, yeah. That's United Sky Raiders, nineteen fifty eight, uh, and another gun game that had very similar artwork. Same artist is the nineteen fifty nine Bally Moon Raider, which I um which I own or I should say I used to own and now a good friend of mine has uh taken control of that one. But yeah 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 that's a the, the unbelievable 
babes in space outfits with moon helmets on and large uh, tatas, as it may be. Great game, you know, and um, uh, also that little, um, oh, God, what is that one with the little cars that go around and you play pinball? And Yeah, Raceway. Yeah, Raceway or Flying Turns. Flying Turns, yeah, yeah. like Jim Dietrich has that one. Right. What a gas. Um, and it's funny. Okay, the only, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm teaching uh, a kid from high school. He, I'm teaching him how to work on these machines. He's going to start helping me. So he goes, well, uh, what, how many machines have you got at home? And I go, pinball machines? He goes, yeah, how many you got? I go, well, actually, I don't have any. <laughs> you know, what? He goes, but I thought you said you have over 300 machines. I go, I do, but, you know, they're, they're at the warehouse, you know, and then they're at the Juju. He goes, well, don't you have anything at home? I go, yeah, I have one game. It's a, it's a bowlette. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And it, the, the bowlette, you know, the puck bowler. The yeah, yeah, player yeah, puck by, bowler, yeah, by Gottlieb. Gottlieb, yeah. And it's, it's great. It's just like, you know, that's about all I need. <laughs> right, right. Doesn't even have flippers, you know, but, um, so you've got 300 games in your collection? Yeah. And, and how, where do you store them? Oh, I, at a secret undisclosed location. And when, and how much does the secret undisclosed location cost you a month? 500 bucks. Now that seems cheap. How did you find that? Well, that took some doing. I mean, and, and these are also, I'm housing other people's games, you know, um, like Larry's. Uh, Larry's games and um, and all the NBAM collection too. Um, we uh, it's at the Naval Air Station that you know the Alameda Naval Air Station, um, and I just kept bugging them and bugging them, and finally um, I managed to get a, a a warehouse space there. And I I think I'm going to have it for another year. That's why I'm really kind of under the gun, and I really got to start raising some serious money. Because I, I don't want to have to move these again. I mean, I, I had my garages and everything, and I'd rented a garage, and it was just filled to the brim. I mean, and at the Juju, every possible space, we had these machine stuff. So finally, we get the storage space, and it just cleared everything up. It really made it great. But um, yeah, I mean, it just can't last forever. So because they're going to start tearing stuff down at the base, they've been. It closed about 11 years ago, and my old dream is to get one of the buildings on the base for the museum. Um, and I'm trying to convince the city that this is a good thing, and <laughs> it's a little difficult. Uh, i tell you what, one cool thing I've been doing, Clay, this, this is pretty neat. I was really proud of this one. I decided, well, the only way I'm going to get the city to realize the, the, how great it would be to have a pinball museum is like if i started doing really good stuff you know community stuff and so i started having like uh the uh, girls in, um, it's called girls incorporated and they empower young women so I, I have them come by for field trips i have schools come by for field trips and i've been doing a lot of uh, fundraising for other nonprofits by letting them use the juju to have parties and raise money and then what i started doing was um I thought, geez, you know, the kids get all the attention. You know, it's always about the kids. And I don't have any kids myself. Uh, but I always thought, you know, nobody ever thinks about the old people, you know. And there's a lot of old people in this town because they, you know, they just never left. And there's quite a few care facilities and, uh, you know, elder care. 
And there's um, so I, I fixed up uh, the first machine I got was a um, Pion, not a Pioneer, a Spirit of '76. I wanted to get something that didn't have uh, women on it. <laughs> and I fixed it up and I put it in this senior care center, and uh, they love it. You know, I put it in there, put it on free play, and uh, I just let them. I told them they could have it for six months, and then I'll I'll uh, swap it out with another machine. And uh, you know, I got I got a little newspaper article out of it. And then, uh, then I found this other place, but these, the, these people are so, uh, they're in such bad shape that they're mainly in wheelchairs. So I thought, well, crap, what can I do? And then I realized, gee, I got these little cocktail pinball machines. I got a couple of those. So, uh, I took a, a star trip over to this other place. And they love it, you know? They, <laughs> I mean, they don't have anything to do, right? So they love to go over there and they play pinball. So, got another little newspaper article about it. On it. And uh, I hope to do so much, you know, like good community work that the politicians will actually be ashamed to say no. Now, now do you have like a real job that you do? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, what I did was I, I fixed up my house. I have an old Victorian, and uh, and it's had a little little place next door. So I rent out the bottom, and I rent the place next door. And so that covers my mortgage and buys me food. Don't have any kids. Um, I do freelance work for science museums, build exhibits and stuff. Huh. And that that buys me pinballs. And and the other thing I do is I you know I rent out the little juju. Also, uh, and since that's mine, um, then I I get to derive income off of that. Hmm. Um, when we when I rent out the juju, that that all goes to the to the Neptune Beach Amusement Museum, the nonprofit. But if I rent out the little juju, um, since I built that and did it all with my own money, um, that's that's how I'm making a living. And it's not a real good one, to be honest with you. But you know, shit. When I get a when I get a, a company that rents it, they pay pretty good, and I go over there. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of tough. I mean. Uh, especially with the economy turning crappy. But what I'm finding out is that, you know, when the economy goes bad, hell, that's when pinball made its, made its, uh, was the heyday for pinball, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, it was tr- traditionally when the economy was bad, pinball did well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping for that. <laughs> um, have you noticed an increase in the value of pinball machines? No, at least here in Detroit, um, things have really taken a dump. But you know, we're the you know like the fiftieth economy in the United States, fiftieth worse. You know, we're it, it's hard to sell games in Detroit for more than three, four, five hundred dollars. Uh, electromechanical machines actually are really hard to get more than three or four hundred dollars for here in this town. Now, the rest of the country that may not be the case, but here in Detroit, things are. Uh, People are, are fairly conservative about about buying things, at least at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's good. I mean, for a collector. Yeah, but you know, the, on the other side is people think that when they have machines, that generally that you know they're worth more than that. But the reality is, is that they're they're difficult to sell in this town for for a lot of money. You know, uh, I'm not saying that that some things don't sell for money, but. You know, a lot of things just, you know, a lot of, you know, your typical average electromechanical, you know, is, is 300 bucks here. 
So, yeah. yeah. And that's fixed and restored, you know. Yeah, yeah. So with your 100 machines, are all those, all those are, re, you know, restored and up and running? Yeah, yeah, I actually have a little more than a hundred. Um, it, it's it's um, it's it's a, a, an interesting space thing, but you know we we have parties once or twice a year here, and um, people don't complain that they maybe have to turn sideways to go between things every now and then. You know, it's it, it works out okay. Yeah, you know. uh, these are all your machines. Yeah, yeah, no, they're all mine. Yeah, and I probably have another fifty waiting to be restored. Yeah. That I have no place to put, but they're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for what, I'm not sure, but they're waiting. Yeah. And these are all pinball machines, or are these? Um, no, I, I, I run the gamut. Uh, I mean, I've, they're probably mostly pinball, but I've got a lot of electromechanical arcade games. Um, no no, no video games. What you're looking for. And yeah. I also noticed that you'd sold a few. I Yeah, well, we had this clubhouse, you know, six months ago. And I had, at one point, I had 80 machines in there, and it was unbelievable. It was like, you know, once a month we would have a meeting, and everybody would come in, and we would we would have, like, a clinic on fixing machines, and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd play. We'd spend the whole day there, and it was great. And, you know, and it had all this endless room. It had, like, 5,500 square feet. And... Um, you know, it just, uh, around Christmas, the, the, you know, the people that owned the building just said, no, nah, you can't do this anymore. You got to go. And I had to, you know, and I had all these machines there. I had, I had nowhere to put them. I couldn't squeeze them in anywhere. So unfortunately I had to, I had to sell a lot of the stuff. Damn. Yeah. And, and some of it was like unbelievable EM stuff that would be impossible to replace that was just so large that I couldn't fit in my basement like I had a um you know a, a United uh fifth inning which is like this baseball shuffle alley thing and I had a you know a bowlerama which is a 20 foot ball bowler and I mean I had all kinds of huge stuff that I couldn't fit in the house <laughs> bowler I haven't even heard of that yeah it, it was is just a huge game but I mean it was awesome and I just I, I had to sell I had to basically sell it all because there was no place to put it you know wow. so you know that's why we're always asking people. You know how they come up with you know, uh, you know storage facilities or clubhouses and that. And I've just not been able to find, um, you know, something here in Detroit for our you know for our Detroit EM Pinball Club. You know to to do something. Isn't a good enough neighborhood or? Yeah, and that's close. That's close by. You know. Yeah. So. Well, so what, do you have them now at your house in your basement, or how do you? Yeah, yeah, I have the garage is pretty full, and the basement's full, and I've got a storage unit that's full, and everything's pretty full. Yeah. You know, but... Dang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's tough, but, you know, the, the, I, I, I thought about this, and, like, like what's the best way to, to go about doing this if I really want to try and, and keep pinball uh, alive out here, and, uh, you know, and in general what's the best plan and i realized you know you got to combine the storage with the shop <clears throat> along with the area that you're going to play and display and then if you can roll all that into a place where you can bring the public in to help cover all the costs then you know then it'll probably work and that's that's kind of what how i've set this up 
the, the only problem with, with my place is it, it's kind of too small. It really needs to be a lot bigger. Um, and and Tim got that got that great place, but um, yeah, he's got his problems, unfortunately, with the uh, with the landlord and just uh, uh, I guess location. So. Um, yeah, it's a big hassle because everything is so big, you know. Yeah. So we're not collecting stamps. Brother, when he first started helping me move them, move these machines, he just said, "Why didn't you take up stamp collecting?" Yeah. <laughs> well, but hell, you get good exercise out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, well, what do you, what are your plans for? Uh, I know you help. You helped Tim an awful lot um, with the uh, DVD sales, and and uh, I guess you helped him with the website too. Uh, right. Do you have any interest in, um, in coming on board with his uh, uh, museum efforts? As far as what? What do you mean? Well, uh, I guess what do I mean? Well, I, I know you're you, you're good friends with Marvin. Uh, Marvin's. Um, yeah, Marvin Ugoda. Yep. Yeah. Do Do you work with him at all, or do you have any interest in in doing a museum to sustain, you know, this livelihood? Or you know, I I looked at that. You know, we talked about maybe doing a pinball show in Detroit, and you know, we talked about maybe you know doing a museum thing because Marvin's getting up there in the years, and and I don't know his son manages the place. I don't know. If after Marvin's gone, if how much interest his son would have in in keeping it going, and you know, and, and we've our club has talked about that, but I, I guess nobody's been forced into a corner, so we haven't really made any decisions or or or, or any kind of you know decision of any sort in, in that regard. It's an incredible amount of work to do something like that, and there really is no money in it as far as like. You know, Tim is, you know, made all his money operating games back in the seventies and eighties, so he's financially okay. You know, it sounds like you're kind of in the sim in a similar situation. You know, I'm not in that financial position where I could just give up life and do this full time. You know, I I have to maintain some sort of a job at least at this point. Yeah, and you've got kids. Yeah. So you know, so it's a little different. My situation's a little different than. Than, than these other people, unfortunately. So I, I can't just give up everything to, to do pinball. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, well, you certainly have done uh, <laughs> more than your share to, like, you know, keep it going. Because, um, well, like I said, I wasn't kidding. I uh, I, I did pick up your DVD. Um, gee, I forget how I found out about that. I guess through Tim. And... Um, that's that's when I realized I could start, you know, doing it myself. And then I, I don't know if I ever mentioned, but <laughs> Tim calls me Professor Juju because I was actually teaching courses, and I'm going to start doing that again in, like, how to repair them. And hmm. a lot of it, uh, a lot of it was, uh, well, has anybody seen this DVD? You know, and <laughs> basically it was like, here, go watch this DVD. And then come back, and then we'll go over everything else that you know that uh, that you need to know about. But, yeah, um, I, I've had there. I've had a couple uh, local colleges 
contact me about the stuff on the on the um, pinrepair.com website, you know that they're that they they've asked permission to take the material and and do develop basically develop a course a course about pinball repair from the material. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, there's a lady out here who was teaching at a private school, and she offered a summer class uh, about pinball, and she brought him by the juju, and I I gave a lecture and let him play, you know, and mainly talked about the art on the on the machines. There's one thing that I, I wanted to tell you about that I briefly touched on. Uh, what the thing that got me into pinball was the art. I always loved the art, and I always thought it was such an insane thing that that uh, that mankind had developed this amusement machine, you know, with all the blinking lights and everything. I was always fascinated by that and by the artwork on the machines. Uh, and I always thought, you know, how come how come people don't appreciate this? There's a few books out, but nobody really seems to appreciate this for the fine art that it is, you know. And they realized, well, it's got this tacky kind of gaudy quality to it, you know, because it's commercial. It was designed to attract you know, to lure the the quarters out of uh, young men's pockets, you know. But uh, but beyond that, there's some really cool, creative, you know, artwork on a lot of this, a lot of these pinball machines. Um, and one of the things I was always striving to do was like try to elevate the awareness of this art. Well, Jim Dietrich and Wade Krauss got together on a project that was commissioned by Joe Sweeney which was to get a well-known artist to create a pinball machine. And they did it, and this just happened about two weeks ago, right before Pinagogo. Um, it took them about, I think, six or more months to put this all together. But basically, there's an artist, uh, American artist named William Wiley, and he was commissioned to do the art and create a concept for a pinball machine. And... Th- um, and then Wade, uh, it was based on a um, um, North Star, Gottlieb Wedgehead. Yep, yep. And um, Wade went ahead and, and redid the play field and took the artwork that the artist generated and made a back class and screened the play field. And um, then Jim Dietrich put it all together using parts off of North, North Star and redone. And Wade also did the plastics. Um, they put together this machine. Uh, they brought in another artist to do the stenciling on the side um, that the artist had, had done. And they came up with this machine. Well, when, And it was called, um, it was called a, uh, Only One Earth, and it was a <clears throat> kind of politically correct uh, theme about, you know, the ice caps melting and, uh, you know, uh, green, you know, green technology, but it's basically done by, by this artist in his style. Okay, after it was done, we took the first one. Jim called me up and he said, you want to go down to San Jose? I gotta, I gotta show this thing to the San Jose Museum of Art. And it was the only one produced. We took it down there. They looked at it and it, these are for sale. They were going to make a series of five of them. Um, and we didn't know what happened. The collection people looked at it, and then we took it apart and loaded it back up in the van and headed back up to uh, <clears throat> to our part of town. And on the way, the um, the people that put it all, all together called us up and said, hey, well, good news, they bought it. 
And we go, oh, you know, how much? Well, they paid $65,000 for it, for this art pinball machine. We go, wow, great. Wow. So it kind of blew our minds. So then they had an opening, basically a couple weeks ago, where they had the, um, they haven't even been built yet, but they put the other four machines up for sale. And the first one was priced at $90,000. That one sold. And then the, the last three were put up for sale at $125,000, I think. It was either 120 or 125000 And all three of them sold. Wow. So it's elevated uh, the pinballs <laughs> to a whole other level as far as, as far as I'm concerned in terms of looking at them as art. Um, have you, had you heard about this? Not at all. I mean, this is... Uh... This is a, a, a news story for me. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's kind of like, imagine if Picasso did a pinball machine, right? You know, I'm not a real Picasso fan, <laughs> but still, even I would have to go, hey, that pinball machine is going to be worth some money, you know? Right, right, And so, in this case, they did five of them, and with a couple artist proofs, and and they're they're worth... I mean, that's how much they went for. And one of them was a museum, but I think the other three were either private collectors or other four were, were private collectors. There was rumor that one was going to go to New York, but I, I don't think, I don't even think they got the chance to buy, to bid on it. I think they, that they got sold right there that, that opening night. So, pretty incredible. And really does do a lot to help, I think, pinball. So. Oh, that's incredible. Well, cool. Is there anything else that I forgot to ask you? No, gee, I, I hope I haven't bloviated too much. No, it's pretty good. You know, it's... Well, that's great. I, I, um, I, I do hope we get to get, uh, get together at the, um, at the Pacific Pinball Expo out here. And um, are you going to Vegas anytime soon? I'm going to go out with Hoppy and, um, and help Tim in Charlotte out for a bit, I think, because uh, Hippie's going on vacation in June. So, you know, Tim runs this thing seven days a week, 365 days a year, and, I mean, he rarely gets a break. So we're, we're, uh, we did it last year. We went out and, and ran it for a week for him and so that they could take a break. So let's do that again. How'd that go? So if you want, come on out. Well, how did that go when you ran it by yourself? You know, yeah, it was kind of fun. I tell you, the great part about it is I get a key, right? Because when I first went there, of course, I made a beeline for Pinball Circus, right? I really wanted to play that. And uh, so I was pumping dollars into that thing. And then Tim finally came over and, and goes, uh, well, here, you know, Mike, uh, you know that key works on that one. <laughs> what you're kidding? I've been pumping dollars into this thing, and I could be playing it for free. So then, uh, so then I started uh, playing it for free. But that—that's what's great, you know. I, I get to go around and, and play any machine I want. And you know what? It, it's funny. I end up playing the two Bally Circuses. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, there's the Bally Circus in the front, and then there's the Bally Circus in the back. You know, uh, balls of poppin', right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and circus is a a version of balls of poppin' called circus. Right. It's a derivative of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny, but I end up playing those two machines the most. 
because I, I love balls of popping and I love I love circus, and then and then the new circus, you know, that's that's a lot of fun too. And you're talking about the pinball circus versus the ballet circus, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are yeah, yeah. The multi the uh, the early '56 circus, yes. and then the new what was that ninety. 90- 95 and it, and it's and it's really called Pinball Circus. Right, pinball Circus. That's right. Right. The one that uh, Python developed. Yes. yes. Yeah, and the Bally Circus is cool because when you get the ball in that hole, it kicks it up and it hits the glass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great game, man. That I I was always blown away. I mean, that thing was so far ahead of its time having all that multi-ball, had an automatic kick out, yep. you know. Yep. A lot of people don't think about that, and um, yeah, what a great game! Yeah, no, it's it's a really cool game. Two player. I, I'm not a big fan of two player games, but you know, ball popping is two player too. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's kind of weird too that it was a two player. I hadn't even thought about that. that yeah. that's pretty strange for back then. But yeah, and that was like one of the few games that Bally made in the fifties. Right. Yeah, because making bingos. Yeah, they were all about gambling then. Yeah. 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 Which, just one last thing, I picked up, uh, at Pinagogo this year had some great deals and some really cool machines. And the neatest thing I picked up, uh, well, Hoppy picked up that really cool Stern um, Hot Hand, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. In a really strange game. And I saw it, and I really got it from from Rob Hawkins and Don Muting for 300 bucks. But... Uh, the one I found, it was this old Bally gambling game called Hot Rod. Right. Yeah, you know yeah. that one? Yeah, Todd McCulloch has one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, i got to get a schematic for it. But um, it was in really pretty clean shape, and just the race cars on it and everything, yep. I just went, holy crap. And Richard Conger came up and said, well, if you don't have that one, because I, I already have one, but, you know, if you don't have one, you better get that. I mean, for $250, you can't. <laughs> Right. So I go, okay, I'm on. <laughs> right. Now, I've never played it. I never talked about Todd, about his and how how it plays. What is the premise behind that game? Uh, I guess racing, you know, uh, and you launch the balls and they end up in these different slots, you know, and I don't know. I, I, I It really intrigues me, though. Somebody said it's it's purely gambling, you know. Yeah, Todd, Todd said he bought it just because, kind of like your reaction, that it just looked really cool and he had to have it. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. it does look cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the plays, I, I don't know, i got to go up and look at Richards now and see if he, if he has his set up, because uh, I'm real curious to see what the actual play on it is. Well, if you're ever in Philly, Todd's got his set up, I know that. Oh, okay. So, you know. Where, and where's he? Yeah, he's right. He he's right outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I forget the name of the town that he's in, but he's got a he's got a pretty nice collection. Actually, he has two homes. He's got one in Seattle and one in Philly, and um, he's got you know probably well over a hundred machines restored in Seattle, and probably f- at least fifty in his Philadelphia home. Wow. Yeah. Now, have you been over to to uh, Paris to see the pinball museum over there? No, I have not. I've I've heard about it and seen pictures of it, but I I've not been over there, no. Okay. Why have you? No. No. I I I actually was working over there for the Exploratorium at one point, but I did not know about the museum. I I don't know if it was even open back then, but uh I it's it's great and and the the way they're all restored looks beautiful. 
it's just that I'm kind of ashamed that you know, we built most of those machines. I know they were invented in France, and I think that's ironic justice. But I, I find it just incredible that we don't have a pinball museum, you know, in the United States per se. I mean, a, um, I, I know Tim, Tim's got his, but I mean a real. Uh, well, you, you know, know, you know what I'm talking about. Don't beat yourself up about that. I mean. In in Tim's defense, uh, Raphael's place is not open to the public, so you know you just can't walk in. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. You know, he's a a, a, a filthy rich guy. He's got a lot of games. Frankly, I think he kind of over restores them. I, I you know I've seen a lot of pictures, and I think he goes a little, at least to my liking. Of course, this is just personal opinion. I think he's gone maybe a step too far in the restoration. Um, Chrome him like Herb Silvers, doesn't he? No, but he every one he repaints the cabinet and 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 to me it's just like I don't know. You know, if you had a Picasso and it had some flaws and some you know nicks and gouges in it and that you know would you touch it up? And and my opinion on the fifty stuff is that you got to be really really careful about what you do. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I agree. I I. I don't really like to, you know, repaint something unless it's totally shot. Right. You know? Right. Right. Um, so you know, you got to be careful. It's important to get it, you know, uh, repaired and working properly. Yep. Um, and you know, if you need to do a little paint touch up on the play field, you know, so be it. But yeah, um, the back glass touch ups that that people do, I think, do more damage. It seems like. Yeah. You know. Because that's that's really hard to do. You need the the right inks and stuff to get the translucency right. Yeah, it's just um, and cabinets. Unless you really know what you're doing, hell, you can you can. Yeah, uh, you can spot those from a mile away. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the way I feel too. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, cool. Okay, thanks, Michael. Um. Well, heck yeah, thank you, Clay. Yeah. And thanks a lot for uh, when's your next uh, DVD coming out? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's you know the the whole thing with making the dvds is that my life gets put on hold for you know months worth of time to do those and i just haven't been able to swallow my uh my whole life down far enough in order to do that so you know we're trying to get actually two done this summer but you know i just don't know you know it just it takes it is such a time suck it's just incredible amount of work like i said i got to put my life on hold for basically three months and and do nothing but that every day to put one of those out and it's just like incredible amount of time so all right man you take care and have a good night okay you too clay thanks all right all right take care all right bye-bye I'd like to thank Michael Sheath for joining us tonight. Michael, of course, is from the Lucky Juju in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I wish him a great success in both the Lucky Juju and his second annual Pacific Pinball Exhibition that's coming up uh, October 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2008. I think it'll be a great, great pinball show out in San Francisco. And we appreciate everybody coming and listening to us tonight on TopCast. The Pinball Radio Show.